The following podcast may contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Binge Movies episode 108. I'm Jason. This is the show that ranks and eliminates movies to determine which ones are worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. On this episode, we rank classic Disney movies. We have our nightmares in our life, and for me, it's not the Freddy Kruegers of the world that I fear. It's the world of Disney animation that I fear, and uh, I, I, I've developed a reputation for not liking animated films, which I feel is unfair, but uh, so that people actually tune in, I had to go and find somebody who actually is known for their support of the Disney Corporation and its films and uh, its treatment of certain female actresses. Of course, I'm talking about Kevin R. Brackett from The Real Spoilers. Yeah, I not a lot of people know that I wrote the contract for Scarlett Johansson <laughs> to be in Black Widow. I, I was the underwriter, and we'll see how it pays off. You're like, if this thing goes to streaming, you only make tens of millions of dollars, not hundreds of millions, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> didn't i couldn't not even i could have predicted the state of the world today i mean i told you last year i told everyone what to do and yep. it should have been fine but they didn't listen i guess we're still fighting we're still fighting for this we are still fighting to get people to put on a gd mask so it is something but yeah uh if you want to know who um you know who decided that uh <sighs> All of Disney's horrible, horrible, inhumane decisions, it rests the feet of uh, Kevin Brackett and his teammates over at Real Spoilers. They're the uh, contract uh, yeah, underwriters for the Not Walt Disney Corporation. So, Well, actually, no, that's not why you're here. Of course, I'm teasing you. You are here because you are a Disney fan, and you are a fan of uh, animation, modern and classic. And, of course, we're diving into... Not quite the first five things that the that Disney put out, but almost. Uh, they had something very early on, and then they had something called The Reluctant Dragon. But we're talking about the five biggest films uh, in the classic category for Disney of, of the first handful that they put out. And, I'm a little uh, disappointed that you skipped over The Reluctant Dragon because I love it. It's not feature length, so I understand it not falling into the others. But I loved The Reluctant Dragon growing up. It was uh, it was on a VHS, and uh, they did like a two. I, I can't remember if they did The Wind in the Willows slash The Reluctant Dragon. Mm. And they, they, had a, they had a tape with it originally. There was a standalone, and there was a duo, one of them. But, you know, The Mr. Toad, you've seen that short film. Oh, right? yeah, yep. Okay, it's a classic. Uh, so I grew up with that one. So when we were skipping over that, I'm like, oh, I'd love to talk about it, but I get it. Yeah, we're going full feature length, uh, theatrical, uh, you know, the, 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 the mainstays, as it were. Uh, what I guess get diving into it, obviously, people who know you from your show, Real Spoilers, know that you're a big Disney fan. People that know you from guest appearances here probably know the same. 
You've come on frequently to talk about animated features. Uh, what is your history? Who got you into all of these old-timey Disney movies? Because officially, this is as far back as we have ever gone. We're going back to 1937 on binge movies. So write that down in your notebook, binge lords. This is as far back as we've ever gone. So how does a millennial like you meet? Are you a millennial or are you Gen Z? Where are you at? I'm technically a millennial by a couple of years. So okay. I'm a, I'm like an elder millennial. So I'm right on the Gen X, not Gen Z. Isn't Gen Z like kids that are 12 today or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> not, definitely. Not, but, but Gen X cut off like yeah. Joe's Gen X by a hair. And then I'm a couple years younger than that. So Okay. All right. So yeah, they call us elder millennials because we're so old. Like yeah. that's the, the, the young kids. That's like their actual name is. Uh, the technical, t- I guess that's the nice term, but like not old fart, but you're an elder millennial. The the clinical term is actually geriatric millennial. That's true. That's what it is. Yeah. That, I know exactly. So I saw that article <laughs> came out and they're like, they're like elder millennial. It's a little nicer. Yeah. Yeah. So as a geriatric, um, you're old, but you're not that old. How, how did a young guy like you get caught up in the world of classic Disney films? Who introduced them to you? Well, so... People our age grew up in the Disney Renaissance, so we had all these great Disney animated features, and uh, those were the ones that uh, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman were responsible for making Disney animated films into musicals. That's what they were, right? Mm-hmm. So, like Alan and uh, so um, Menken and uh, Ashman, they did Little Shop of Horrors, which is a fantastic. It's a remake. It's an adaptation of an old black and white movie, and they turned it into this awesome musical with Rick Moranis and Steve Martin, and you know it's just it's such a great thing. That's that's uh, Mankin and Ashman who did Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. So like they they have this these roots in musicals, and they got them on board for for these Disney movies, and they and, and that is what they again refer to as the Disney Renaissance, and uh, that was the start of it with Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and uh, Aladdin, and all that time period. So, growing up in my household, those movies were huge. I was at the right age where I really like The Little Mermaid. Nineteen eighty nine was my first film in theaters. Mm. I was two years old. It scared the crap out of me, but you know, like that, that you know, the Ursula is yeah. a two year old on the big screen as your first movie. You've never yeah. seen a movie that big, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so growing up with VHS and all the Disney classics, and then they started releasing things from the vault, as they call it. And uh, my family would buy all those VHSs that you know, all the classics that they grew up with, and you know, we just accumulated all those those tapes. And so I took to the early stuff and, and all that classic stuff aside to the new stuff that was coming out in theaters. And as I grew up, I it wasn't so much just the entertainment factor of, oh, these are bright and colorful and fun stories and goofy characters, but I really grew to appreciate the artistry behind them. So all this hand-drawn stuff, and it's, I mean, to this day, it's something that I've really kept an appreciation for and I respect how difficult that is how many hundreds of people have to work on these you have like a lead animator for for the different lead characters then you have all the fill-in the in-betweeners that do all their little movements between the key pages and then you have all the colorists and the people that you know have to go through and photograph all this stuff I mean it's amazing what it takes and I think there's something so so intimate and beautiful about that type of artistry where it's hand-drawn and 
don't get me wrong, the computer stuff has come a long way, and we've talked about that before, and, and I respect that too. It's just different, and so I'll always have a really you know, undying appreciation for this hand-drawn art form. Well, I, without, uh, without much further ado, this is, um, this is going to be a challenging one because you're talking about, look, all of these movies are highly rated. Uh, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes, they're all, you know, part of the canon. You brought up, of course, The Vault. But we here at Binge Movies, we have our no copyright infringement intended vault. And uh, the, one of these movies is going to end up on the guest list, thanks to you. One of them is going to end up on the short list, thanks to me. And we're picking be- between kind of the premier Disney films. Uh, so it's going to be tough. I wonder where you're going to land. I'm not really certain. Uh, I, it was it was tougher for me than I would have anticipated, and um, I just I want to know in between putting Colin Jost in the in the the poorhouse, or <laughs> and uh, you know all the stuff you do on real spoilers, how you possibly had time to watch all of these uh, animated features because a few of them seem to go on forever. We'll get to that one. <laughs> yeah, that I, I know. Though are you talking about the one where they put an intermission in the middle of it? No, surprise. Oh. <laughs> The two-hour-long yeah, one with an intermission. We're going to get into one. it, so I think okay. without, without okay. much further ado, I think it's about that time. I think we start our rankings with the first film, of course, the all-time classic, 1937's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which currently has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Walt Disney Pictures invites you to the party of the year. The 50th birthday celebration of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And you can only see it at a theater near you. Why, everyone will be there. You'll meet Happy, Dopey, Doc, Bashful, Grumpy, Sleepy, and Sneezy, too. The 50th birthday of Walt Disney's classic Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's the party you won't want to miss. Opening tomorrow around the world and at a theater near you. Well, look, you can't argue with the history behind this stuff, and a lot of it is in context. You have to understand, like, the 19, this is 1937. This is the first feature-length animated film, at least in the United States. So this is a big deal. People have seen these little cartoons. Up until this point, you you had your your Merry Melodies and your Silly Symphonies, and Walt Disney was known for for putting you know the mouse before the movies with with the newsreels and uh, all the little shorts that would play. But I mean, this is a big deal, and the cost that it would take and the time. This movie was uh, an effort of three years, hundreds of people working on it to get it out there. It went five times over budget. It was supposed to be $250,000, which, again, remember, 1937, that is a lot of money. And it uh, went up to, like, $1.2 million. Uh, Walt was was putting up his house against it, uh, selling everything that that he and his brother had built through all the Mickey Mouse cartoons and everything, like, Everything was on the line. If this movie failed, you would never know the name Walt Disney. I mean, he would just be an old, oh, yeah, that guy that did that mouse cartoon 100 years ago. Like, everything was on the line. And this movie comes. Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. We've got our supervising director, who's David Hand. We have our sequence directors, William Cottrell, Wilfred Jackson, Larry Morey, uh, Pierce Pierce, which just seems like a fake name, Ben Sharpstein. It was written by Ted Stark. Richard Creedon, Otto Englander, Dick Rickard, which is maybe the most fun name to say of all time, Dick Rickard, 
Earl Hurd, Merle DeMars, Dorothy Ann Blank, and Webb Smith. These are these are some old timey dope ass names. It's of <laughs> course based on Snow White, Snow White by the Brothers Grimm. I, I didn't know that Matt Damon wrote this, but there you go. It was released December 21st, 1937, as you said, as an estimated budget of $1.5 million on a box office haul of $418 million. Now, that is the accumulative box office across the very many re-releases. $66.5 million on its original release. Because before Disney started repurposing IP with reboots, they would constantly re-release their films in theaters. Well, sure. Uh, my it was one the, sentence... Uh, it's sorry. It's coming out on the uh, out of the vault, right? So to promote their VHS release, gotta go see it in the theater. Correct. And go buy the VHS. My one sentence plot synopsis is, and this is for the young people. We're talking about an old timey movie, so I want to make sure the young people understand what's going on here. So, sus thought gets dragged by her mirror, so she decides to true crime her step fam, who is a total snack, but she's low key in the cut with seven total stands. <laughs> what? <laughs> you came up with that? Yeah, it's a one sentence plot synopsis. Have you? Do you listen to binge movies? Do you know how like, I, the format of the show? I do, but that is that is like <laughs> that sounds like something out of an episode of Saved by the Bell. <laughs> no, man, I, I gotta gotta clue in the, the Gen Zers about this. <laughs> that's like because uh, it's Saved by the Bell. They did Snow White and the Seven. Dorks, oh, that's right. Right, and so as as a rap, so the way that you said that, it reminded me in my head of like some kind of like, like two like hip rap lingo. I'm like, what is that? I really oh, thought you I... almost took that from Say by the Bell or something. No, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, it's a good callback. Look, this movie, like you said, is 84 years old, and the animation is still stunning. So I want to get that out of the way right now. Do you have a synopsis for us? You know what? Everyone knows the story of Snow White. I mean, it's Snow White, right? But the the thing about this film that when you watch it as an adult, you realize that what does this movie run? It runs an hour and a half or hour 20. There's not a lot of plot to this movie. There is no plot to this movie. That That is the thing. that, And that is why you say it seems so long because... I mean, really, a one a one sentence synopsis for it is just you know, girl runs away from. I mean, it's it's a very cliche type of fairy tale thing, but it's like, yeah, girl wants to get away from her evil stepmother mother uh, and runs away and and uh, meets seven dwarfs and then gets found and then gets. You were you, back to life. Yeah, you There's, talked about the context, okay? So I yeah. do want to put some appreciation on the film because if you are somebody who's sitting in a theater, adult, child, doesn't matter, in 1937, and you are watching this in one of those big palace house theaters on a giant screen with an organ and people playing the music and all the stuff, and you are seeing animation at a scale and with uh, depth, a field, all by hand, of course, that, like you have never seen before. And, of course, uh, Disney went out and hired a German expressionist filmmaker or, or used some footage from a filmmaker. And so it's like a, it's like a pre-rotoscope, pre-motion capture for Snow White and her, some of her features. And so, um, so her and Prince Charming, I think, I think that's what he is. Is, he, is, this what, is this Prince Charming or is he Prince Valiant? Which prince is this? I believe this is charming. Yes. I think this is charming too. 
um, you know, they have, the, they look almost, uh, uh, real isn't quite the w- w- word for it, but they are a different animation style well, than the animation all, around them. Right, but they're they're uncanny, and that's 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 my biggest gripe with this entire film, is I hate the rotoscoping. That, it's exactly what it is. I, uh, Disney is, has been known for, they've always uh, gone on these trips, and they've, uh, they've even had animals in their office so they can study them and see their realistic movements. In an animation, a lot of people, they would hire actors to uh, move a certain way and they could study them and watch them and everything. But what they were doing here early on is for these human, like for these, that's another kind of problematic thing because it's like, well, the dwarves, they're just small humans, but yet they're cartoon characters and Snow White and the prince are very ultra realistic looking. So that's a little bit disturbing. But but uh, the rotoscoping thing they did to it, I did not like the way that it didn't match the rest of the animation. The frames, the movement was herky-jerky compared to the ultra smooth animation of the dwarves and the animals around her. Uh, and I just think it takes you out of it when you see her with the dwarves on a you know on a high def screen now that we're watching everything in super high quality it looks like it doesn't fit you know they're like two different animation styles it would be like putting you know the simpsons in south park right but without changing the animation style and uh, the two of them just don't work and these are things that as a kid of course i didn't notice but as an adult you rewatch this and something just feels off and it's like today when the the uncanny valley when movies and video games look so real but they're just weird they just don't look quite right and that's what this did to me at least and i was happy to see in future films that they were moving away from rotoscoping things yeah, it only comes up one more time in the slate of movies that we watch. They do it again with the Blue Fairy, using some of the same footage, actually. But um, it looks just looks just like Snow White. Looks just like Snow White with different right. hair, exactly. And I, but the thing is, I'm I'm putting myself back in 1937, and this is an, this is almost you know it's it's weird to say it as an animated film, but it's like a special effects extravaganza. And so I think if I'm a kid or I'm an adult at that time the animation carries it, right? I'm less concerned about plot because I've never seen anything like this before with the colors and the vibrancy and the size of it, like you were talking about, this epic scale of it. Well, and let's talk about the multi-plane camera, too. Yep. It's beautiful. Yep. The, the the painted backdrops, I mean, from the beginning, this first feature-length film, um, not that the Silly Symphony stuff didn't look good and all that, but, I mean, the, this artwork is beautiful. And then they go and move in, and it looks 3D, the way that they yep. stack. They created a camera with, that would then photograph a background and a middle and then, then the people on top of it and everything, and then move whether it clouds or light on top of those things. And, right. and so the way that it moved looked like a, a film, like a live action film but with animation and so you're right i mean to see this in 1937 your mind would be blown and so you see the box office on this now i mentioned it was 66.5 million dollars in 1937 dollars that is the equivalent of 1.26 billion dollars right we're talking about that would be in like the top five or six highest grossing films of all time nowadays right you know when you adjust that for inflation that's a huge deal uh and when you see what this was and think about the time period, it's like, yeah, that checks out. You know what I? You know what I think it as closely resembles to in modern times, Avatar. I th- this yeah, is Avatar. I was, yeah, I was gonna say that where it is as much about the effect as it is about the plot, if not more so, right? 100%. And also in that day and age, there obviously is no home video. There's not even television. So if you want to watch this, you're gonna go to the theater again and again and again to see it. That's your only chance. And so I, I could see 
this is an immersive experience in 1937. I could see them selling out, you know, they're probably touring it because I know Disney was early films. That's how he had to do it. They did a road tour from area to area of the country. You didn't have wide theatrical release and it would play in the United States. And some of these movies in the list never even made it overseas because of the second world war and some other stuff that comes up or there wasn't just, a, there wasn't really a market for it or it's too expensive to get it overseas. So a lot of these box office numbers or, or, a lack thereof is because he's primarily uh, exhibiting this in a domestic market and he's, he's pretty much, you know, got film reels in a trunk and is traveling with <laughs> yes. it and has crews of people traveling with it from town because that's just how movies were done. Then they didn't have, they weren't sending multiple reels out. That didn't start happening until, you know, later in the forties and fifties because of what it is, because of the technical prowess of the film because of its standing, because like you said, without this, there is no Disney World, Disneyland, there is no modern Disney. If this flops, he's done. Because of that, and, and because the animation some 80-some years later is still gorgeous to look at, for the most part, uh, what they do with lighting and shading and what they do with the... Uh, the 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 wicked queen, the evil queen, and and all of that sort of stuff. Transformation. Yeah, the trans. Yeah, the transformation and light and shadow and realize that's all cells. It's all pages. It's somebody hand groups of people hand drew just to change the texture and tone and lighting for a single frame and realize they have to do this frame by frame by frame by frame because of all of that, it deserves it the recognition that it gets. However, in a modern context, this thing felt like it went on forever because there's not enough plot here. If they cut this down to some, a, a lower runtime like some of the other films that we watched, I think it's fine. I think it's stretched way too thin in, in a modern context. I 100% agree because that's the thing. You're, again, when you say it in 1937 and you've never seen this before, you can't take your eyes off it. You're yep. mesmerized by it. It doesn't matter what they're doing. I mean, this is like, I mean, I don't want to dumb it down to anything to like this primitive of a level. But when I when you see like a something on a technical level, like you're watching some kind of technical test and it's it doesn't have to be artistic with a story and whatnot. You're watching this new visual test for yeah. some kind of new graphics engine for the computer or some kind of special effects thing or whatever. And like your eyes are glued to it and it doesn't matter what they're doing. You're watching it and you're going, wow, that looks so real or I can't believe they did that. And this film of course has music and a story and, and is way above that. But the point is just, they're just dancing around and singing and sitting in a, and washing their faces and stuff. Like it's just, <laughs> it's, it's so, it's so basic. Yeah. But, but you would you couldn't help but to just be enamored with these characters and and them interacting with these this lady that looks realistic but she's a cartoon what is this and so yeah I I, I that's think a great both- point about like it's almost like a special effects reel or a technical test yeah. because there's so many long shots that are really just exist to show you what they can do how they're pushing animation into a whole new stratosphere like you said washing the face and the fluidity of the water and the i don't even call it realism but just yeah the depth of it and the detail suds off and yeah yeah, and and uh you know the small characters you they're rotoscoping a a 
you know, full size human and they have to draw these cartoon characters in and keep the scale the same yep. with all of yep. them. And so I think it was as much of a technical test. Obviously, Walt had this story and wanted to do it. And, and uh, this was his big dream to do a f- feature length animation after all his cartoons and everything. So I'm not saying it was just a tech test, but this is the first time that they did anything yep. on this scale. And so it was technically a test i mean this was a test and and they were uh you know live or die by this test if it didn't work out it was a failed test for sure but uh they were creating some of this as they went and uh luckily for them it worked out and uh walt would then go on to invest all of this money into his company reinvest it you know it's not like he was just like okay let's call it a day i'll go get my rolls royce and my big mansion and whatever like i mean (laughs) he built the the burbank studio with these funds i mean he he millions and millions of these dollars uh to pursue the dream and obviously today walt disney is one of the biggest companies around so it paid off and and far surpassed i i couldn't imagine walt would have ever even dreamed that he'd be buying up companies like marvel and no. and pixar <laughs> and i mean you know what i mean this goes yeah. it just it's just crazy to think of that with this film and obviously yep. all the mickey stuff and all that but i mean with all the eggs in one basket gambled on this film and that was the future of animated films. And here we are today still pumping out multiple a year from Disney and then all the other competitors. So in this show, we try to take in the movie itself, plus the broader context, because we're all about what is worthy of preservation for all time. So, but we're also looking at the individual merits of the movies themselves. So it's kind of a balancing act. So if you had to give this a score out of 10 and a rank out of the five that we watched and binged, this week, what would you give it and where does it rank? So I give this one a seven out of 10 because mm. it's solid. It's, you know, it, it's not the best, but it has a lot of technical merits. I mean, it's really hard because judging against everything that we're going to talk about, yeah. things to come, but knowing in historical context, it's the first of its kind. It's it's really difficult. So I, I give it credit for what it accomplished. I give it a seven out of 10 and I put it at number three. Okay, wow. So that means you've got two lower than this. I do. Wow, okay, wow. That is the surprise for me. I am higher than you. I give it a 7.8 out of 10. So if there's ever any rumor and innuendo about me being an animation hater, let that die today because I ranked a Disney movie higher and scored it higher than Kevin R. Brackett from Real Spoilers. Did you think mine were all going to be 9.6, 9.7, <laughs> 9.8, I really did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but I'm a little bit lower you on the, on the Reiki portion for this. It is my number four. It's my number four primarily because what comes in dead last for me doesn't compare as far as the memorability of songs. The, mm. the, there are still... There, there's iconography in this film and songs in this film that people know to this day that are so entrenched and just mm-hmm. a part of the Disney brand that as soon as that scene comes on, you know exactly what it is. It, there are few and far between. There's not as many of them in the movie as you would think. Yeah. Um, but the ones that are in here are just like next level iconic. And so because of that, it raised it from being close to dead last for me, raise it up and put it in the number four spot. So uh, speaking of sinking money in the next project, they went from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves to something that is just, in in my estimation, on another level. Their follow-up is 1940s Pinocchio, which currently sits at a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
from his father's workshop to Stromboli's stage from the evils of Pleasure Island to the belly of a whale. Follow the excitement of Walt Disney's classic adventure, Pinocchio, rated G. Coming soon to a theater near you. Pinocchio's supervising directors were Penn Sharpstein and Hamilton Lessig. Sequence directors were Bill Roberts, Norman Ferguson, Jack Kinney, Wilford Jackson. And this has to be a fake name. T. He. <laughs> it is a story by Ted Sears, Otto Englander, Webb Smith, William Cottrell, Joseph Sabo, Airman Penner, and, uh, and many more. It's based on the adventures of Pinocchio. It was released February 23rd, 1940, on a budget of $2.6 million. It made $164 million at the box office. I'm seeing that as probably being cumulative as well because it was didn't do well when it came out. You have the our OG numbers? I sure do. $38.976 million, which is the equivalent of $738 million today. Wow. In April 2015... A live-action remake is set to come out, directed by Robert Zemeckis, and has officially began filming as of March of 2021. So here we go. They're going to repurpose something. So here's my one-sentence plot synopsis. A lonely old woodworker makes the world's first real doll out of pine and gets fucked over by a fairy who can't mind her own goddamn business. Wooden boy wants to be real and gets into some tight or uh, some tough situations. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get into one in particular, which I think has a context that I didn't realize what they were going for as There's, a kid. I'll tell you what: when you watch these movies as adults, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a different experience. It is. Yeah. Speaking of Jiminy Cricket, is actually a euphemism for the the exclamation "Jesus Christ." And so they say it in Snow White. Yeah, they do. A couple yes. times, which I was really surprised thinking like I was thinking, oh, wow, that became a catchphrase from the Jiminy Cricket character from the 1940s. But it's like they said it two or three times in the first movie. I'm like, this is the first like uh, planting little hints They're They're doing their own cinematic <laughs> universe where they're well, laying the groundwork. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I Googled it and it was just a common phrase. It was like saying, you know, uh you know, G's or whatever, people would say Jiminy, Jiminy Christmas, Jiminy Cricket. It was a way of uh, basically saying Jesus Christ without taking the Lord's name in vain. Which must be why they named the character Jiminy as a little wink. Correct. And so I think by naming him Jiminy Cricket and then making him an actual cricket, it's a joke that adults would have gotten. It would have gone right over the head of a lot of kids or maybe some older kids would have gotten it. But yeah, it's it's an adult joke in a kid's movie and the thing that i love about this movie that stands out above everything else is jiminy cricket because you have this fairy tale but then almost in this like not quite shrek but it had to be pretty close to what watching shrek was like in the early 2000s you have a very modern 1940 sensibilities character breaking the fourth wall making adult jokes making jokes at the expense of the plot, providing meta-commentary, giving a little wink to the audience of being like, whoa, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, and and just 
being that meta character that's way more modern in its sensibilities, or that we would think is way more modern in its sensibilities, all the way back in 1940 in a standard adaptation of, you know, an Italian fairy tale. And I, I love the character of Jiminy Cricket. I thought his humor still plays today. And I thought it just, that whole, everything with Jiminy, I thought it just worked so, so well. Because everything else is so earnest and playing it straight. And so to have him kind of, like I said, just breaking, breaking the norm, breaking the convention, and being a very modern, anachronistic character, while being a, a, a anthropomorphic embodiment of a profane euphemism, I think it's just hilarious. And so I love Jiminy Cricket. And uh, I, I think the animation here is, again, you can see where they just developed it and went to a whole nother level. It's just, there's some stuff in here that's outstanding. What do you think about Pinocchio, Kevin? Agreed. They, they took that money and reinvested it wisely in those new studios and those new uh, easels and, and uh, colored pencils and everything. I mean, they, they took it to the next level for sure. It's a huge leap in quality. Uh, I mean, Snow White still holds up. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah. Like you mentioned, it's a beautiful film. But when you go to Pinocchio and you see not only these beautiful background paintings and the characters they look cleaner but then they also did like the underwater technology so to make the bubbles like they they had to create a whole new technology to be able to draw to make all those bubbles and make it feel like underwater the waves move you can see it's not just like oh it's a little more blue no there's a movement to the waves there's bubbles coming from the characters you know thousands of them all different sizes it really is brilliant and the songs are good in this movie. The The humor is there for the adults. I think it is so entertaining going from, uh, you know, I, I rewatch these in chronological order. So, Me too. So going from Snow White and then going yeah. to this, the entertainment factor was yeah, tenfold. Yeah, Something is happening yeah. every scene, right? Correct. So instead of just stretching out one tiny fairy tale, which really could have been done in a 30-minute short, they had a, a full-length story yep. with plenty to going on. and you're It's like an epic. Yeah, and you're following different characters, right? So not only are you setting out with, uh, you've got Jiminy Cricket and Pinocchio on their journey, um, and you have all these different villains that come in and out. Then you have Geppetto and and the animals who are trying to find Pinocchio, and they get into their own trouble, and they all meet up. You're right. It does feel something like like a Ten Commandments-style epic where people are growing over time, and then they meet up and see people they knew like it, it really did feel that way and uh, i was blown away by how well it held up and how yeah. good it looked and i i absolutely loved this one For, yeah so did i and from a plotting perspective it held up because it is it's like a it's like a um like an odyssey right homer's odyssey it, it, it's like this epic adventure for this character and it's got a little bit of magic and a little bit of fantasy and all this sort of stuff and Seeing the animators, some of the some of the drawings, some of the we'll just call them shots because this they did use cameras. Like for instance, we go into the POV of Jiminy Cricket as he's hopping along to get into Geppetto's shop, and it's like, just like you know, okay, dwarves washing their face and getting suds off their face and washing their hands. It's almost like like you said, it's like a field test of of what what they're pushing and saying, okay, what can we do here. By the time we get to this movie, three years later, and this went into immediate production off of the success of Snow White, because it took years to make these movies, still does, but um, they immediately started, okay, we got that down now. How do we push it further from a creativity standpoint? 
and the animation's cleaner. The 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 design is incredible. Uh, they, there's more complexity of of the the shot composition and where the camera moves and, and the the POV of the animation. Uh, they start adding some things that are Disney tropes to this day, which you have Geppetto with his two animal sidekicks of Figaro and Cleo. I think Figaro is one of the cutest things in the face of the earth when he's tucking himself into his bed and then tucking himself into Geppetto's bed. Yeah, that cat sidekick. is so darn cute. He's like one of the all-time great little side characters. It's just absolutely wonderful, and it's, uh, yeah, it's... it's. And that fish is gorgeous. How did they yeah. do that? And you know the I mean? fluidity of the motion of that fish like the, is insane. The fish has long eyelashes and like and yep. makeup, and it, you're just like, how is that a pretty fish? You've never seen a pretty fish like that. Just <laughs> no. what is that? What? How did they? You know, it. They. The, that's the thing that Disney really captured was making these cartoon characters come to life in a way that you care yep. about them. Yep. So that is why Disney really excelled because they just the animation style what what they did to these characters and and what i think you're severely lacking in with the rotoscoping because when we're watching cartoons we don't want to see real life that's what yeah. live action is and even in pixar they're still creative enough where they're not just pixaring humans when you look at the humans like uh, i know they don't always focus on humans but look at ratatouille for instance like they the the gusto or you know the, those characters don't look like real humans right. like like us so they they're always making the, the cartoon characters are supposed to look like their own creative unique style and yeah. that's what draws you to them and then once you're in that world if everything seamlessly blends together then you escape into that world and you're not thinking oh this is a cartoon you're like okay i'm in this cartoon world these people look like they belong and yeah. that's what took me out of it with snow white but in pinocchio these characters all have such life to them and they all blended in with this beautiful artwork. And I was there and I was on that adventure and I was, uh, you know, caring about what would happen to Pinocchio, even though I've seen it a billion times, yeah. but I'm watching it and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I want him to be safe. I don't want him to lie. I don't want him to get into trouble. <laughs> and then I want Geppetto to get out of that whale. And it, you're, you're, it's, it's such a, uh, gripping tale. And, uh, well, it, one of the yeah. things that we've seen advance, which, you know, they became famous for, like you said, to this day, is with the facial features, these characters, even more so than Snow White, which they do a good job there, but it's, again, next, just a different level. They've just, they're advancing, they're learning, they're growing as a company of animators. The amount of humanity and emotion that the facial expressions that all of the characters, including Jiminy Cricket and Cleo the Vision, Figaro and Honest John and everybody has in this movie, it, it is so well done that it draws on your sympathies or your fears. I mean, Monstro is still to this day a scary creature. And I can just imagine that sequence where he's, he's going, he's finally learning his lesson, and it's like the third virtue of heroism or sacrificing for others. He's going to save Geppetto. Could you imagine in 1940 being a little kid sitting in a big seat at a theater, looking up on a giant screen and seeing this monstrous, tr truly monstrous whale with its, its eye movements and its eye motion and its giant mouth and just absorbing almost the entire screen. That would to have swallow to swallow the raft. It's, it's yeah. terrifying. It really, it is. And Thrilling and terrifying. And that would just like embrace 
embed itself into your brain. But even forever. Stromboli is is horrific. He's so horrific. angry, yep. and the way they draw his emotions, he's he's uh you know when Pinocchio is playing along and doing what he wants, he's happy and oh you're you know you're making me lots of money and everyone loves you and all this. And as soon as Pinocchio says, "Yeah, I'm gonna go home. I'll see you tomorrow," I yeah. mean he flips a switch and he is just terrifying yeah his anger and again that animation but it would have looked really weird if that was rotoscoped right so geppetto <laughs> geppetto right. isn't rotoscoped stromboli right. isn't rotoscoped these are supposed to be the human adult characters and they're not but they but look how much emotion you get yeah uh snow white and uh, the prince look like dead they just there's no yeah. you don't yeah. hardly get any emotion from them but when you have these characters with the the exaggerated features which is what cartoons yeah. are have always been based on they've i mean for the most part it's like cartoonists have been doing that since 1800s newspapers or whatever right, right? the exaggerated features and so when you're animating that with this beautiful animation you're getting all that detail like you said and these characters come to life in ways that are you know i i I feel for Geppetto. I think he is a, such a sweet, genuine character, and I want him to have his real son that, that for whatever reason, he couldn't have. And as an adult, you're thinking, like, how did this happen? Did he lose his wife early on? He, mm. They never could have kids. Did he ever even find a partner? You know, you're thinking through all these things, and you you see that emotion in him, and he's just so sweet wanting that, that son, a child. Did the rotoscoping bother you as much when the Blue Fairy, who I should say Snow White and the Blue Fairy are both Marge Champion was her name. Yeah. So, uh, did did it bother you as much here? Because a fairy is not supposed to be a realistic looking character. I think so because did it was stand out as much as Snow White. She was transparent in this, and so it yeah. did have that mystical feel to it. I still didn't like how it looked uncanny compared to the other characters because yeah, even though it's she's playing a fairy, she looks like a human scale exactly snow white size just blue and transparent so yeah I, it still took me out of it because those facial features were too realistic in this cartoon exaggerated world but uh it's a one basically one scene and yeah you're it's not a big deal at all in this so i love that, that they went from you could see with geppetto how he more closely resembled the dwarfs like his mm. features the big nose like yeah, you know, the, yeah. big, the round nose and those features it looks like they took what they used on the dwarfs and they applied that technique to geppetto yeah. and oh my gosh his interactions with pinocchio were so much better if he looked like a human rotoscoped i don't think i would have the same care i wouldn't have yeah, the same yeah. feelings about him and and his uh, desires to have a child of his own and all that stuff. So, yeah, this was uh, Aces for sure. So this movie had an interesting effect in my uh, uh, household here at uh, here at Binge Movies. Uh, fired the movie up, and uh, my significant other left and said, I can't watch this. And I said, why? And it was all revolving around the events at Pleasure Island. I got a lot to talk about. When we get to Pleasure Island, so and let me about, just say, well, you, let me you, just say that taking <laughs> little boys to Pleasure Island sounds <laughs> sounds like a Brian Singer move if I've ever heard one. This is something else. It, 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 what is what is Pleasure? What is taking little boys to Pleasure Island a metaphor for? The jackass metaphor kind of makes sense, right? If you don't go to school, if you're truant, if you smoke, if you drink, if you gamble as a little boy you'll grow up to be a jackass kind of a thing, right? That's kind of an obvious metaphor. But them then being sold into slavery, are we dying? And that from Pleasure Island, by an adult, 
is what are we getting out there uh, in 2021? Am I, I mean, reading too much into it, or do you think there's some subtext there? Because that's some weird, dark stuff. I don't think I don't think in 1940 they were thinking that way, but I think it really comes across that way because. I mean, I, what I think it was is I think it was a bad guy luring bad kids into this place. And that was basically like, don't talk to strangers. Don't if someone offers you something like this, don't take candy from a stranger. I really yeah. think that's the metaphor they were going for. And then if you act bad, you know, you're going to turn into a jackass, all that stuff. But yeah. basically, this bad guy that the the two uh, what honest John and doofy cat guy i don't really, yeah, i don't even one, know yeah. his name but but those two are are in a bar and there's a creepy guy that says hey do you want to make a lot of money kidnap the bad little boys and take them to pleasure island and you're just like yeah. what it, it it it's so weird as an adult and in the, the world that we live in for them to say this it's yes. extremely creepy and in today's world it instantly seems like they're trying to kidnap little boys and sell them into sex slavery correct correct that, 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 that's the read of 2021 on that for sure there is a pleasure island you're a disney aficionado you go to disney world in orlando yeah there used to uh, be there is or was a pleasure island the adult jessica rabbit had a place there so thing. forth and so on mm-hmm. and uh it was according to the lore of the the disney world uh, lore place pleasure island was an area of what's now downtown disney for shopping, dining, entertainment, the district uh, was a part of the resort. It officially opened in May 1st of 1989, and then it got rebranded into downtown Disney and Disney Springs and whatnot. It's, I think it's the landing now at Disney Springs. But the lore of this place was Meriwether Adam Pleasure <laughs> uh, crash-landed in Florida, liked it so much, he decided to set up his Explorers Club there, and this is 100% true, the Explorers and Adventurers Club. Um, he was an industrialist and explorer. He decided to move his entire family to Florida after crash landing there. And he started a new sailmaking and yacht construction business and uh, was lived in the island from the 1920s all the way through the 1940s. And the Adventurers Club, this is 100% true, Kevin, is now officially the canon background for both Jungle Cruise, the ride and movie, and the Indiana Jones franchise. Oh. Because they're now apart. Disney has officially said with the release of Jungle Cruise that The Rock's character and Emily Blunt's character exist in the same world as Henry Jones Jr. And they all exist as members of uh, what was his name? Adam. <laughs> Meriwether Adam Pleasures Adventure <laughs> okay. and Explorers Club. First of all, I think you're reading the synopsis of the vivid porn parody <laughs> no, this is of Pinocchio, true. where where the no. girl where the girl li- makes him lie on purpose. I'm right. pretty sure I, that is what you're talking about. But <laughs> Meriwether Adam Pleasure. Correct. <laughs> yeah, there are still references to him around the park to this day around Disney Springs and downtown Disney. So they got rid of all the different, like the uh, disco on roller skates and Videopolis and all those other things. And if you want to do a deep, deep, deep dive on that, you go find the channel Defunct Land, which I know both you and I are fans of. And he talks all about uh, Pleasure Island on there. But uh, it just it, this was just in the news this week that Disney has officially announced that Jungle Cruise, the movie, and the ride 
are officially part of Indiana Jones canon, as wow. is the now defunct shopping center, <laughs> Pleasure Island, that had a Jessica Rabbit themed nightclub at one point. The corporate synergy has reached a level of stupidity here. I mean, that's something. You've outdisened me on that one. I, I, did, I do not go as deep as to uh, get into nightclub lore. But, They're uh, talking about opening a new nightclub in that area called Jocks, or, which is the pilot from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. It's going to be about how him and his snake crash landed there and found <laughs> Ad, uh, Meriwether Adam Pleasure, decided to shack up with it. I'm not joking. And the this, this snake liked Florida so much that, that Jock could never leave it. And uh, they're going to do a whole Indiana Jones themed thing there in the park for the new indie ride they're going to do. Oh, more power to them. That sounds something. <laughs> and there's a room, there's rumor and innuendo they're going to do some kind of a prequel tie in between the Jungle Cruise movies and uh, some of the characters from Indiana Jones. Not Indy himself, but some of the other okay. background characters who appeared, of course, in one scene uh, 40 years ago. Right. <laughs> We got to expand their mythology. So real quick before we jump off Pinocchio, I do want to yeah. say I looked up the the origin of this uh, Pleasure Island. So so <laughs> okay. th- these fairy tales, of course, Walt put his own spin on like the yes. grim fairy tales. These are old, old fairy tales where usually yeah. people are dying, getting their feet cut off. Yes, uh, d- you know. Right. Oh, sorry. I forgot to mention, I'm going to jump back to Snow White really quick. So in Snow White, the evil queen is killed with her own stupidity, run away from the dwarves. She tries to crush them with a boulder and ends up falling off a cliff and the boulder Struck crushes her. Yeah. Uh, so in the fairy tale Snow White, in my research, I found out that the queen survived, right? So they didn't actually kill her with the boulder. That's great. What happened to the queen? She was invited to Snow White and Prince Charming's wedding to subsequently dance with hot iron shoes and dance herself to death. <laughs> I think you're going to say like the dwarves turned on her with like their picks, yeah. pickaxes and carved her up little pieces and but, turned her into mince pie or something. No, but these fairy like tales, I laughed out loud when I was reading about that. Like they always <laughs> the had some, some crazy moral of the story. They, so Snow White and the prince chained her with iron hot shoes and, and made her dance, dance to death. death. That's I, very strange. Okay, So so uh, with this one, uh, this is from this Italian folklore and yeah, it was yep. called the uh, the Land of Toys is what the, uh, the original story called mm. this Pleasure Island and what this, this was... This isn't doing, this isn't doing any favors to, <laughs> to the, the idea. <laughs> well, I bet in the parody they didn't have to change yeah, the name right. either. <laughs> so it appears to be a fantastic haven for wayward boys and girls and they oh, can do God. whatever they want with no without law uh however the truer more sinister purpose of the land of toys is revealed a means of a disease that affects people who never study the boys and girls turn physically into donkeys which is an italian curse and it is symbolic of ignorance stupidity goofiness and labor so and then subsequently they get sold so okay i i guess that this that this disney version is maybe not trying to do any kind of a message like we interpreted today it literally yeah. the italian lore was just if you do these bad things you're going to turn into a donkey which is a symbolism of all this laziness and stupidity so right. they're pretty closely adapting that but i 100 percent am on board with <laughs> you and i took it the same way that it <laughs> right. reads differently all right i am giving this a nine out of ten so i'm right there with you on the score it's one lower for me it's coming in at my number two and it was yeah. tough it was my number one at the very last second, I was like, I think I'm going to play something just slightly above it. 
uh, and I'll get to that. I have a very, very specific reason okay. uh, why for what came in as my number one. But yeah, this, everything we watched this week, this was the most entertaining from beginning to yeah. end. And I, I was blown away about how engrossed I was in this movie as I was watching it. I loved it. To me, nothing else stacked up once I watched Pinocchio. And I have tons of things to appreciate about all the others. So it doesn't mean the others were a zero. Yeah, yep. This isn't film Twitter, for God's sakes. It's not a 10 or a zero. But, <laughs> right. uh, you know, there's plenty of things. Like, even if you're ranking five amazing things, something yeah, has to be number tough. one. But number five could still be just barely under. So Correct. they're all good. But, yeah, this movie, I watched the others. and I didn't have as good of a time. I didn't enjoy yep. it. Didn't have the same emotions attached. Uh, I was in and enamored with this one yep so this is where i think we're going to delve into a little bit of controversy if i had to guess we're kidding the 1940s fantasia which currently has a 95 percent on rotten tomatoes walt disney pictures presents the magic of fantasia it's the 50th anniversary of this all-time animated masterpiece now fully restored to its original brilliance walt disney's classic fantasia rated g special limited engagement starts friday fantasia was directed by hold on to this list folks samuel armstrong james agler Bill Roberts, Paul Satterfield, Ben Sharpstein, David H. Han David D. Hand, Hamilton Lusky, Jim Hanley, Ford Beebe, T. He, Norman Ferguson, and Wilfred Draxon. It's a story, if you want to call it that, by Joe Grant and Dick Humor on a budget of two point right, two eight million. Who yeah, is that Dick last? Dick Humor. Dick Humor, I think, is how you would say his name. <laughs> okay. Yeah, <laughs> Dick Rickard and Dick Humor. Um, at a budget of $2.28 million, it, it made somewhere between, uh, if you have original numbers, help me out here, but the box office has it at anywhere between $76.4 million and $83.3 million. This, Do you have a number there? Yes, this film in 1941 grossed $42.85 million, which is the equivalent of $812 million today. Wow. Here's my one sentence plot synopsis. Acid dipped orchestral bop courtesy of Uncle Walt. <laughs> I like it. I say Disney makes screensavers for your classical records. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you've tipped your hand there, my friend. Look, The Sorcerer's Apprentice was originally just supposed to be like this elaborate, silly symphony thing that you were talking about. And then he was like, uh, it's costing too much money. So I got to build a feature around it. And so he decided to make this kind of random orchestral uh, uh, experience uh, uh, that was not going to be a plot from beginning to end, but really, truly an experience, all as an attempt originally just to revive Mickey Mouse, who had kind of begun fledgling in popularity a little bit. And so to the idea of we're going to do a new, you know, very, very innovative, you know, silly symphony to revitalize the Mickey Mouse brand and get him popular again, then realizing you've spent way too much money. And so, we, so what are we going to do? We're going to spend even more money and just blow this thing out into a giant extravaganza of a film. Um, I, I think there's a really bold choice. It obviously paid off to some extent for him. Uh, I'll start with you. What did you think about Fantasia? I, I think I have an idea based on your synopsis. Um, I think it's cool. I think it's an experimental film. It's it's interesting on a technical level, but yeah. I think what it amounts to is, like we talked about earlier, this is the 
technical test without the story there is i mean there is no story it's a whole bunch of classical music that they did different visuals with and they tested out different things i think some of the things are really cool i think some of the things look like my windows media player did in 1995 (laughs) Uh, you know i mean you know what i mean it's some some of it is just like visual synthesizing of the music right so it's cool on your screen like if you're just chilling and you got your music playing but to sit down, how often am I going to sit down for two hours and watch Fantasia? And the answer is when I get asked to review this movie <laughs> for a podcast. Okay. I saw so this no as a kid, pre- and I, okay, I checked out the Blu-ray when it came out because, you know, 1080p, wow, this looks really cool. And the visuals yeah. were really cool. But this is a this is a test of your surround sound, a test of your TV, put on the scene that you like to watch. But this is not a two-hour film experience that you just, take in all the time no way okay so hang on a second yeah. so you know appreciation for the fact that the soundtrack for this was was recorded using multiple audio channels which sounds like okay what's the big deal there this is one of if not the first film to ever do that so this film is actually the precursor to stereo yeah this is a technical achievement like i said this was a te- yeah. this was a test where snow white i think holds up on a better level because you're taking this fairy tale you have the dwarfs you you they all have their different emotions and you feel connected to them and the dwarfs are the best part of the movie they're the humor they're the heart and i with this movie because it's just these little vignettes it looks like a bunch of technical tests like okay here i am i'm going to test how can you show music as waves here is a test yeah. about how can you turn music into shapes here's a test how can i do this spooky thing with these demons and the underworld okay here's, oh yeah here's, <laughs> yeah here's one with, that was a very odd choice like you're going to end this movie with topless with, demons with the devil <laughs> sending souls into hell yeah. uh, you <laughs> know like, whoa you know can i here's a test of how can we make uh culturally insensitive goat people dance around to music i yeah. you know like each one I, I appreciate each one on its own technical level, and I'm not dismissing that at all. Very cool. But I also think this was a way to test their their um, you know their different skills and their different yeah. technical stuff for feature films and a way to make a bunch of dough for a movie, a feature length uh, you know narrative. And uh, to me, this has little to no rewatch value. Uh, I think any kid, would get bored with this movie. I certainly did when I, I mean, I didn't watch it since I was a kid and, and until I was testing out DVDs and stuff. Yeah. Um, I just, it's a neat achievement, but it's, it's a snooze at two hours long with an intermission. It, it's yeah, too long. You know, the movie wasn't, you know, despite what it made, it wasn't the success. I thought it was going to be because world war two broke out. This is the one that was most affected by it. And it pretty much cut off the European market. I think he only got to show it in 13 cities live. Uh, for the first time they released it, and I think it got re-released after the war where it picked up some more money. So this was not, you know, the huge success that he was banking on. This, this did not do great. Here's, here's, here's my thing about this movie. Where you see it as a disadvantage, I see it as an advantage, which is, and I wish the folks at Disney Plus would, would listen to me here. Okay? Break it into episodes? At least under the extras, you should be able to go into extras and watch it like a DVD chapter menu and just pick the segment that you want to watch. Because like you said, okay, some of these segments didn't really work for me or are not wowing in 2021. 
Some of them, like uh, Dance of the Hours, I think is the best animation we saw all week. I think that that is some of the best animation of these five films, just that segment alone. And some of them really work. And the end segment with the chair barg or whatever his name is. That was awesome. It is awesome and terrifying mm-hmm. in a very strange way to choose to end this experience. It's, right. It's a super cool clip. It's a, it's a really cool segment. Yes. But yes. That's, it, it, it just does not work to me at the end of a two-hour watch. But I agree. I was yes. watching. I'm like, this is really cool. I'm digging the spooky stuff and the graveyards. And this is really awesome looking, the way it moves technically. They're all, a, for, for the most part, they're all a technical achievement that I really – think was stunning and i'm sure they implemented a lot of stuff they tested on these yeah. short segments and their feature length stuff that would come but to me i mean like you're selling it as yeah watch individual segments sure i'm totally on board for little episodes and little clips of this but man as a two-hour movie i just cannot imagine i would love to go back and if and get accounts of kids watching yeah. this on home video and well compared to watching compared to bambi yes. compared to yes. pinocchio fantasia are people really sitting down for two hours watching this thing i can't imagine props to disney for deciding to end an incredibly long <laughs> and obtuse experience for children <laughs> with the fiery bowels of hell like that is a bold choice sir but see i think in a modern context one, I think people had longer attention spans back then because uh, sure. they weren't overly stimulated by visual sure. stuff. There's nothing I else mean, to this, do. These hey, the, kid, you want to watch the day the, of radio? You want to watch the demons attack people and and, and go to hell? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pop in Fantasia. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, so I think the old timey audience probably could absorb it better because also like going to the theater was an experience. People used to dress up to go see movies, so this was as much going to see the orchestra as it was actually going to see totally, animation. No, theatrically, t- theatrically yes. for sure. I mean, I meant more holding up on home video d- Correct. in the 90s and the, you know, as, yes. as that release. But I, I think in a modern context, I think it can be enjoyed in segments mm-hmm. as, a, as a series of shorts, which is really what it is. Yeah. Would I sit down, like you said, for again, for two plus hours and watch this thing from beginning to end? No. Hell no. But now I know, this is the first time I've ever seen it. So now I know certain segments which i thought were really beautiful and i'm somebody like i pay money to go to the orchestra in real life right i just and i think between that and some of the rich animation the fact that this thing is as old as it is it still looks and this movie's 10 over 10 years older than my my mother it still holds up and looks beautiful in certain places and because of all of that i i thought it was it's a standalone unrecreatable work of art is it the most successful film on this list? From a narrative perspective, no. Is it the most unique and I think culturally significant? And is it the most uh, standout of everything we watched? I think yes. And for that reason, it is my number one movie of the week. I'm adding it to the short list. And I'm going to give this thing a 9.5 out of 10. I thought it was, oh my God. as a collective experience, I thought it was remarkable. And oh. the fact that because it is, Dis- disconnected it is a series of vignettes and segments you can choose to turn it off and, and fire it up the next day you're not going to miss anything it can be broken up and digested in smaller pieces whereas a snow white is ostensibly a narrative that goes on for almost the same runtime as this 
and nothing happens in that movie. Snow White so is I, like hour 20. It's not two hours. This is a, extremely long compared to Snow White. <laughs> two hours is not an extremely no, long runtime. Well, for animated films, though, and especially ones without a plot, it's different if you're engrossed in it. I, I will say, I, I mean, I'm a fan of the theater. I, I love seeing live music and live orchestras yeah. play. I would go watch a live orchestra play this to the movie because that would be an experience in person. That would be, yeah, I see what that you're would saying. be a live, yeah. I've seen Star Wars in concert. I've, yeah. seen, you know, uh, I've, I would definitely go and listen to an orchestra because the music is beautiful. This is classical music. And if you like classical music, this has yeah. a bunch of different great selections and stuff that you would know, like the Nutcracker Suite. I mean, there's like the fa- most famous stuff that's still today as back then is. Which the- is hilarious, though, because when he when he's talking about the Nutcracker, he's like, it's it's not played very often today. It's fallen out of favor. And I'm right. thinking, I think you you are responsible for reviving oh, a yeah. Nutcracker because they're talking about it as if it's some obscure <laughs> piece of music that like. This Russian ballet that you've probably not heard of, the Nutcracker, it's fallen out of favor. It doesn't get played very often. But we've chosen to interpret it, you know, in a whole new way. And blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, this is some of the, this was this music was used in a Ritz cracker commercial. Yeah. <laughs> this is some of the most overplayed classical music of all time. But you know, and yet because they're pairing it with unique visuals that you wouldn't necessarily associate with that music that we've all heard in car commercials and in lifesavers commercials and in Ritz crackers with peanut butter commercials. But it had less it, it has less realms. An than interesting we're used experience. To. We're used to four What's that? we're used to four realms with the nutcracker. This is only right. one realm. <laughs> See, kids today, they're going to say, yeah. where are the other realms? The Nutcracker is known for its famous four realms. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a deep cut. That is I a fell deep, asleep deep in that movie cut. screening, and that was like a, <laughs> I think that was a uh, 3 p.m. movie screening. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, if I, anybody gets that reference, they are a true hardcore cinephile. I, I fell asleep cut. at like 4 p.m. I woke up, my oh, my God, I just, I have no idea what this yeah. Did you fall asleep during Fantasia, though? I did not fall sleep during Fantasia to their credit um I I I love the music and everything and again I I was I'm glad that you brought up the seeing live music and stuff because I was gonna say the only way that I would watch this willingly without a podcast uh would be to go see it live with a with an orchestra and I think that's amazing I've seen uh I've seen orchestras just play classic music I've heard orchestras play like singing in the rain and classic films with them and uh, I've seen uh Ben Folds with an orchestra I Mm. I, seeing a live orchestra whether it's just the orchestra with a movie with a musician accompanied by an orchestra is an amazing experience and I would I would encourage anyone that has never done that to go because even if it's something that doesn't sound like it'd be your jam being there with the music and the you can feel the vibrations being in person is such a different experience than just listening to it on a stereo set so um but unfortunately for me uh, as a film as a two-hour feature narrative film uh this thing was a slog to get through and uh uh, I think its technical merits are there and it's an achievement, uh, but not a very engrossing film like the other ones. It gets a 6.5 and it is in, oh. it is in my number five spot. Oh. <laughs> Polar I say, opposites. I say get some good edibles, turn this thing on on Disney Plus, sit in your chair and zone out for two hours and watch some sexy ass hippos I, 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 dance around. <laughs> I 100% think that... Un- 
under the influence of something would greatly increase the enjoyment <laughs> factor. But I have to, I mean, unless the film comes with a little packet of something inside the case, <laughs> I, I can't judge the movie based on the variables that you bring to it. So I just have to it's say, true. you know, but yeah, it, it is what it is. So we'll have to be on opposite ends there. We're going to have to be on opposite ends. I think it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience in the positive sense. Kevin thinks it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience in the negative sense. A once-in-a-lifetime. You could have watched this thing for the last 70 years as many times as you wanted on your TV. Like what? That's not necessarily true because it's been in and out of that vault. So that's oh, a that's lie. That's true. Sir. There's a couple of years where we couldn't have. Yeah. But knowing me, yeah, that's not I would have bought this it. This is the most accessible these movies have ever been. Speaking of, I was as we were doing this, I was laughing my ass off because I'm like, they spent the entire 80s and 90s telling us how rare and precious these movies were. Only for by 2020 to just dump them all in a streaming service <laughs> and be like, it. ah, 14 bucks a month. Watch them whenever the hell you want. Vault's gone. <laughs> gotta love it. You've got to love it. <laughs> you gotta love it. Let's move on. Oh, boy. To a movie I think we're also going to disagree on. I'm talking about 1941's Dumbo, which currently has a... 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. In a theater from Walt Disney Productions. Take your hands off him. He's my pony. The incident that drove a town apart. I think we should let the pony decide. Which one will ride a wild pony? And on the same theater program, Walt Disney's Dumbo, the happy return of a little elephant who can fly. Dumbo, ride a wild pony. Both rated G. Come on. Dumbo's supervising director was Ben Sharpstein. His sequence directors were Norman Ferguson, Wolfred Jackson, Bill Roberts, Jack Kenny, Samuel Armstrong, with a story by Otto Englander, Joe Grant, Dick Humor, <laughs> based on Dumbo the Flying Elephant. It was released October 31st. Ooh, spooky! 1941. On a budget of $950,000, so a slightly lower budget affair, and you can kind of tell in the animation. It only made uh, $1.3 million. This thing was a flop. Well, this is the one that was affected uh, by the war. This, yeah, I mean, we this thought was... Fantasia made a lot of, Fantasia made $42.8 million by my accounts at the time, uh, and this thing rolled around, and uh, yeah, money wasn't going to this movie, that's for certain. And the thing is, it was made to recoup the losses from Pinocchio and Fantasia, uh, and it did not work. It was, Dumbo was deliberately made on the cheap, in the pursuit of simplicity was the quote, uh, just to try to get Disney Studios back up on their ass because they spent a lot on those other two movies. Even though they they brought in a lot, uh, they didn't re they couldn't recoup expenses. The magical world of carny racism and animal cruelty comes to life before your very eyes in the most depressing children's movie ever made. I like it. That's a very very nice tagline. Uh, mine was simply drunken circus clowns think they see flying elephants. <laughs> Happy-hearted Roustabouts is a truly racist song and idea, and it, it makes the crows seem like critical race theory. This stuff is racist. This they has, and the thing is, it doesn't factor in to the plot whatsoever. It's like, like Song of the South is a horribly racist film, which I've saw seen. But it's at least the uh, the character, uh, Zippity Doo Dah, singing along. At least he fits. 
into the world. He, he plays a part into the story. Here's a movie that just has a random song number from African-American carnies putting up a tent going, we're just happy to be slaves. We're just happy to do the labor. Uh, we don't actually, we're, we're so dumb. We don't even know what to do with our money. We just throw it all away. We just want to sing songs and work again. And then on top of that, of course, the step and fetch at crows. And then on top of that, the absolute animal cruelty that's on display in this movie. And animal on animal cruelty. These lady elephants are some of the meanest bitches that have ever been on the screen. This is a horrifically depressing experience to watch. I was thoroughly depressed from beginning to end. What is the moral of the story here, Kevin? That if you are a freak and if you exploit your abilities for the entertainment of white people, that you'll be able to be uh, uh, negotiate a contract? Is this a metaphor for Scarlett Johansson? Is this a metaphor for the MCU? That, it, that you'll, you'll, have, you'll be able to have a, uh, a, a literal rat as your manager, which seems par for the course, and that he'll be able to negotiate you a prime deal so you'll finally be able to take care of your horribly abused mother. I mean, this... I mean, it's, it gets Hollywood pretty accurate. It gets show business accurate. But other than that, how is this for children? It's ugly. It's sad. It's depressing. I felt so awful for Dumbo and his mother, Jumbo, through the entire series of this movie. And I never got that cathartic moment where I felt as if they overcame. So he flies and people embrace him and all this sort of stuff. But he's still a circus freak. And that is so sad. I want him and his mom to go free because I, I, the movie is successful enough to get me to care about the characters, but the plot doesn't reward us for the hell that it puts us through. Mm. I mean, I definitely can understand the reaction given. Was this your first viewing or had you seen it before? Oh, no, I've, I've seen it before, but okay. I haven't seen it in a very long time. I mean, those things are hard to miss as an adult. Um, the, I mean, when you're a kid you're not reading into that stuff and so i've always yeah. i've always thought of the characters i liked i like the animation i like the way that dumbo's drawn uh, i think he's a sweet character and the moral of the story is uh you know just because you're different doesn't mean that's a bad thing i mean it's it's more of a generic tale than anything yeah. else but it's a yeah. you know don't being different is not a bad thing don't uh because at the end of the day his difference is what makes him stand out so this is like yeah. a Aesop's tale from the olden days. You know, it's a very, yeah, yeah. very classic and uh, something you see in a lot of films and stories. But I, I don't know. I like the songs in it. I like the Casey Jr. song. I'm not, not, not all the songs. Like the Roustabout one is just weird as an adult. Like I said, that is like, what the hell is are they doing here? Uh, but the Casey Jr. song and the Elephant Fly and uh, the Stork song and I, I think there's a lot of really sweet moments in this when it's Dumbo and his mother and the friendship that he has with the mouse, even though the mouse is kind of a jerk. But you know, he's nice to Dumbo at least for the most part. Uh, I, you know, to me, it's more of a simplistic, cute story where I don't, you don't have to think too much to enjoy Dumbo. Yeah. Uh, and that is one thing that I like about it. Where and it's short. It, it's short. It's only an hour. It's barely just over an hour. Uh, the animation is really good, I think. It's the colorful. I mean, it. it's not as slick as the other stuff, but I still think with the colors and the characters, the animals, the way they're drawn, I think are interesting to look at. And so... I I enjoyed this one more so than watching Snow White. I just I, you know Snow White is more of a historical 
wow, this was the first one and the animation is yeah. beautiful and everything. But I had more fun with this movie because it was a quick little, you know, one hour clip through with some, some cute things and a nice moral of the story. And, uh, uh, Dumbo prevails in the end and all that and his differences are what sets him apart and makes him better than the other elephants and, and uh, showed up those stupid clowns and yeah I listen I don't disagree with what you're saying and the movie is effective like I said in getting me to care about this little elephant and this is where we're really getting into the Disney effect of the big eyes he's so cute and he's adorable the drawing out your sympathy yeah. and it does everything about this movie pulls at your heartstrings for his mother and for him and for, you know, just the, just this movie's populated by every other character is an asshole. And so you have these two very sympathetic characters and you feel so deeply for them. And the movie is effective at getting you to deeply care in less than an hour's time for this little baby elephant. And Dumbo keeps screwing over all the bad people. I mean, not in a bad way. He keeps like, yes. you know, he messes up on the elephant tower and screws them up. And the clowns, uh, you know, he starts dive bombing them at the end and, you know, messing up their whole thing. And, I, you know, you're like, yeah, get him, Dumbo. It, it really, it's such a short movie. But because he's so cute and you care about him, like you said, that's pretty amazing that they're able to get you with with very little with very little time and nothing about the plot that's too complex they get you to do all that in an hour where you're rooting for him and uh they have you from the moment he's dropped off to his mom yeah i i, I agree with all of that it's just by the end of it i didn't feel like the ending rewarded the hell they put me through yeah, to get there i can see it they pulled so thoroughly on my heartstrings and I wanted something more triumphant. I wanted something more overcoming for Dumbo and his mother. I wanted a better life for them than just being circus animals. I, and I don't know what that could have been. I'm not going to rewrite an 80-year-old movie. But I, I, just, I, I just felt I, I, was, I was sad after the movie ended and not in a good way. It didn't lift my spirits. The, it, you know, it was successful in making me feel like shit. But then it didn't build me back up enough. I do have a follow-up question for you. Did you have the Disney Channel as a child? Not the basic cable version that came with your cable package. The subscription Disney Channel that had no commercials, showed old uh, 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 cartoons as interstitials because they didn't have any commercials. It was in a special tier, like your HBOs, your Cinemax. I don't think I had that. I think I watched it in Florida a couple times when I was on vacation, and they had that there, but I, don't, I never had it at home. Next month's hunt for family movies. Jasmine Guy stars as the only hope of a young boy targeted by a gang. Get him! Runaway. She survived Hiroshima only to meet her greatest challenge in America, the heartwarming story of Hiroshima Maiden. What happens when a boy and his dad exchange bodies? Robert Klein makes a summer switch. Before there was Twin Peaks, there was Glenn Ford in my town. The Family Movie Hour, Saturdays at 6, Eastern and Pacific. Did you ever see a rerun of either Welcome to Pooh's Corner or Dumbo's Flying Circus? Dumbo's Flying Circus sounds familiar. If you want absolute and utter nightmare fuel, animatronic puppet Dumbo... <laughs> Or Winnie the Pooh with human beings semi in the suits with facial features that are very, very uncanny because they kind of move but kind of don't. Uh, just going on these really weird adventures and a giant rat and all this stuff. If you really want a very bizarre experience, go on YouTube 
and try to find Dumbo's Flying Circus. You and all the binge lords listening, if you don't want to sleep for days, turn that shit on. Lots of great adventures, too. Because anytime I think of Dumbo, my mind goes back to being a small child, having to go to the back of my console television, flip the cable switch that was in the back, <laughs> that gave you access to the premium channels, skipping past uh, Cinemax early in the morning and turning on Dumbo's Flying Circus and Welcome to Pooh's Corner. Wow. Uh, just to try to get the Kids Incorporated and the new Mickey Mouse Club, just to try to get there and being absolutely terror-stricken <laughs> by Dumbo in this in his show. Well, it was disturbing. This explains a lot. You are properly uh, traumatized <laughs> from Dumbo and company. Uh, Disney has a history of trying to terrorize children. They're selling them into slavery. They, they've got demons throwing souls into hell. They've got old witches being struck by lightning and crushed by boulders or convincing you apples are poisonous and will mm-hmm. put you asleep. Uh, this stuff is absolutely terrifying. Uh, touche. I get, I get it. I, I understand. <laughs> I'm not licensed to talk to you about these issues, so you're going to have to seek <laughs> professional help, but I hear you. I'm here. I'm someone you can talk to and sound off of. Okay. All right. Well, I thought part of being uh, your credentials as part of being a real spoiler is some sort of clinical background, but you're telling me that's not true. I just true, listen. So I, I can't, I can't, I'm not licensed and I'm not even licensed in your state to give you, I mean, we shouldn't even be having I'm gonna this have conversation. To, I'm going to have to find a certain Australian podcaster who's a clinician to <laughs> delve go. into some exactly. of these problems. But uh, <laughs> uh, this, this is a mediocre movie for me at best because of that lack of catharsis at the end it's coming in as my number three it's middle of the road and i give it an eight out of ten uh i, I understand its place in history it the close-up animation is very well done every time they zoom far out they just decided to add no features to anybody or anything again that was intentional as a cost-saving measure i get it there's even some reused frames in the movie so it has a slightly cheaper feel to it than the other ones we've watched so far because, uh, you know, Fantasia was uh, was a flop because people like Kevin can't appreciate art. Mm. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, here we go. What is Where is your score? What does it rank for you? Because I'm guessing you're going to be higher. Please don't tell me that this is your number one. <laughs> no, I already told you my number one. You know this. Did you? Yeah. Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, Hal. Sorry. I had, yeah, I had very strong feelings about Pinocchio, sir. Oh, that's right. That's right. We had a Where whole. I, I poured my heart out. I told you how much I loved it. I cared about Geppetto and his plights. I was just thinking about Pleasure Island. I know Fred. all you I, heard. I, all you heard <laughs> was Pleasure Island and Pinocchio. Tell me another lie. That's all you heard. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So, what's your score? What's your rank for <laughs> so, Dumbo, the saddest elephant in the world? Let me try this again. So, I put Dumbo at a seven point two five, and I put it at number four. Okay. All right. All right. So, you actually ranked it and scored it lower than me. So this, so you gave it more praise than I did, but it's it's lower for you. Why is it so low? I the th- the thing is that. Snow White has the historical value and is so impressive for what it did. I think I gave it extra points on the technical merit. And I really like it, but I'm telling you, like I said earlier, I think Fantasia aside, you give me these four movies, 
I think they're all very close. And I it was really hard, honestly, for me. I was flip-flopping numbers constantly trying to think where am I going to rate these things so like I'm like I was alluding to earlier you know when I give Pinocchio a nine and put it at number one that doesn't mean my number two is going to be a uh 2.0 you know what I mean like these movies are not worlds apart to me so I mean Dumbo is coming in I said 7.25 right yeah yeah I just put it a hair below Snow White because the animation isn't as good. It's not a technical achievement, but I think it's entertaining. It moves at a good pace. Uh, it's very dated now. I'm not trying to rate it based on a 2021 movie. I'm rating it on a 1941 movie. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's entertaining. Uh, it will hold kids' attentions. It's a sweet story uh, with a good moral at the end of the day. And so, yeah, it, it ranks at my number four, but still a very entertaining movie. Okay. Well, moving on to our final film for the week and the second film i ever saw in movie theater something that was deeply traumatic to me as a child we are talking about 1942's tearjerker classic bambi which currently has a 90 percent on rotten tomatoes from walt disney pictures it's been called one of the most heartwarming motion pictures ever made and a true disney masterpiece now it's back in theaters this is quite an occasion this is bambi theaters it's the adventure you won't want to miss bambi quick feline jump walt disney's classic bambi rated g now playing at a theater near you check newspaper for showtime supervising director for bambi was david hand with sequence directors james algar samuel armstrong graham heed bill roberts paul satterfield norman wright story direction by pierce pierce story adaptation by larry Mori. Story development by Vernon Stallings, Melvin Shaw, Carl Fallberg, Chuck Couch, and Ralph Wright. There's no dick humor is, in of this? Course, what's There's that? no dick humor in this? No dick humor in Bambi, well, no. Okay, I, Actually, there is with Thumper. There's, there's some <laughs> sexual innuendo with that guy's foot. The, whole, the whole third act is about them all getting it on. It is, it is. Based on Bambi, A Life in the Woods by Felix Salton. It was released August 21st, 1942, on a budget of 858000 even lower than Dumbo. It made, and I, I need the original numbers here, because this is telling me it made $267.4 million. That's got to be cumulative. Oh, yeah, not even close. So it had a budget of eight eight hundred and fifty. dollars is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have 850000 budget and a gross of $3 million originally. So okay. it did better right. than Dumbo so- did. Yeah. If a cartoon deer fucks in the woods and the guy who killed his mom isn't around, does anybody hear it? <laughs> I like that. I just I just had final destination. I don't think anything <laughs> I don't think anything bad is gonna happen to the mom. <laughs> I was I was okay, this is the movie that made that started the whole the mom is always gonna die in these Disney movies. Yes. Going forward from here the main character almost constantly has loss of a parent. Now, very sadly, that stems, I believe, from Walt losing his mother uh, in that tragic... Do you know the story of what happened to Walt's mother? I don't. Okay, yeah. so um, 
Walt and Roy, the brothers, became successful, obviously, with all the stuff we've been talking about, making millions. Uh, they bought their parents a new house, and the person that installed their uh, furnace did it improperly, and uh, the mother died of carbon monoxide poisoning Wow! in the house that Walt bought her and, and, I guess, paid for this furnace to get installed. So, you know, the word is that he never recovered from blaming himself and feeling terrible about his mother's death. Uh, his father did survived that he was sick but he did make it out of there and lived for a little longer but um yeah so anyway uh i think that is the stem of where i i think that's i mean maybe it's maybe that's just kind of how people read it but that's what i've always heard is that it was his uh loss of his mother and then that carried on through all these stories other people analyze it and say well that just gives the character something to to work through and all that but anyway I, the point is i was really surprised rewatching this as an adult and it had been a while since i'd watched bambi and really paid attention but this movie the mom survives for like 42 minutes i thought she was gonna die in the first five minutes right that's what we all it's a like a like berenstein bears right mandela yes yeah so the first movie i ever saw in theaters was land before time okay Littlefoot's mom dies mm-hmm. Very early that in That might movie. be what we're conflating because... Absolutely traumatized yeah. the shit out of me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Balled my eyes out as a kid. Yeah. I was consoled with a personal pan pizza and a ducky uh, rubber <laughs> hand puppet that Pizza Hut sold with your personal pan pizza, if you remember were that Were there promotion. tie-ins with Land Before Time? There were yeah, tie-ins you could buy the Pizza VHS Hut, Land there, Before Time. I think. In the new movie, The Land Before Time, Littlefoot, Sarah, Ducky, and Spike share an incredible journey along the way they become best friends now we'll always be together and now these lovable characters can be your child's friends too with a pizza from pizza hut a land before time dinosaur is only 99 cents so come to pizza hut your friends are waiting we'll always be together my dad then decides to follow that movie up Taking me to the theater again. See, For my second movie ever, which was a night late 80s re release of Bambi in theaters. <laughs> oh my God. And he takes me he to see it. And my, dis- Bambi. <laughs> my back to back, my distinct memory of watching the, this film in theaters is that I was intermittently terrified. Because at any moment, I thought something terrible was going to happen, and then, but it did, and, and get to that second. But doesn't it feel like Final Destination, where you're just waiting for these things to happen? Yes. Because you think the mom dies early on, and then- I thought the exact same thing. I thought I thought she died in the yeah, first 15 I minutes. I waiting for it, and waiting for it, and then even, like, even there's that uh, stampede of fate, like, all the things are running, and she's looking for him, like a Lion King moment. Yes, I thought, you know, that, this is the scene. I thought that I know, was the I scene. I thought the hunters were going to, like, sh- try to shoot a buck and hit her by accident. Yep. No, it just didn't kept not happening. It, it just yeah. kept not yeah. happening. I was I was flabbergasted right. by that. Okay. But I remember also being a kid and being very bored by this movie. I, as a kid, I can see that. As an adult, I have a completely different appreciation on this beautiful, almost a nature documentary, but in animated form. I find the animation of this to be spectacular. I was visually wowed by it. I I I thought it was absolutely stunning to look at, but I thought this was one of the most boring things I had watched and it, this week, and that includes Snow White. Wow, this movie was you still as an adult didn't like the... Absolutely 
dreadful mm, to get through. I, I found this thing to be taxing to get through because at no point did I care. The only thing that drew me in was I was very glad when we went from child Bambi, who has maybe one of the worst, most annoying kid voices in the history of cinema, to at least preteen Bambi who fucks. Once we got to Buck Bambi, who's, who's, who's uh, super thirsty for uh, whatever her name is, then I was like, okay, I can tolerate listening to this So you're guy. saying you liked his There's rap. There's so much of it he had a nice rap. that reminded me of Peter and the Wolf in the early part of it, where it's just classical music, just like Fantasia, which is classical music, and it's animals who barely speak, being silly but, and slipping on ice and flip-flopping so, around. But Peter and the Wolf is such a better example of what Fantasia is. I'm not saying visually stunning and all that, but yeah. Peter and the Wolf has a story, but it's a vehicle to listen to this beautiful classical music, but you have that entertainment of him slouching over, slumping around with his gun, and a wolf following him, and like it's yeah. just it's entertaining with the classical music, and that's where the narrative comes in and bumps it up for me, even though we're not ranking Peter and the Wolf, but I just think of that as a more entertaining experience overall where you get all of it the story the music the animation's fine like i you know but i well i found this to be a wow a quarter of this to be a very piss poor peter and the wolf and the whole time i'm watching it the only question that was running through my mind was well two one when the fuck is this mom gonna die because i thought she died super early like you said and two why did an entire generation of people decide to name their stripper daughters Bambi? <laughs> Why did Bambi become the name of strippers? I, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't think it works. I mean, maybe it's like a, <laughs> a destin, destiny type thing, but I'm like, I don't think they name, I don't think their kid like gets pumped out and they get handed a little sash and they say, you're a stripper and your name is Bambi. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't think that's how that okay. works, Jason. Why did so many strippers? Why did so many strippers decide to okay. pick the name Bambi? Why are there working names? Why are there kayfabe names Bambi? Bambi's cute. Maybe There's they, nothing in they, this movie. Why not Thumper? There's nothing well, in this see, movie. See, you go to the wrong clubs. The Magic Mike Strip Club. There's plenty of thumpers. Oh. It's, it's but why not Flower? Why? Like, why the fuck is well, every stripper named you Bambi? Go to the back room for Flower. But but the champagne room. But here's my honest question. Why did Bambi, the name Bambi, become connotated with bimbos? I I can't draw the line from this movie. There's nothing in this movie that would be like, oh, well, you know, Bambi's, that's a name for bimbos. I don't know. know. I mean, I think think it's a cute movie, and I think maybe just the time period, people uh, growing up having watched that, uh, whether it be a re-release or something, I mean, I'm not sure, but Bambi, I think, is a very cute movie. It's very, it's the the narrative isn't there i mean it's another one that could have been shorter i agree with i agree that it could have been but what it makes up for by stretching out the story is this gorgeous nature animation and this the the thing that makes it up for narrative like when you're watching a nature documentary yeah sure a lot of them do have little stories even walt disney went and turned his home videos into nature docs and gave the gave the animals characters and a storyline and all that so i'm not saying nature documentaries don't ever have that but some nature documentaries take you to a place and show you a a section of the world or a certain amount of animals or whatever nature that you haven't seen before and so i found this to be so close to a documentary 
I, I really enjoyed taking in the nature of it and the way the animals moved felt so lifelike. They really got the movement of the way deer walk and even the baby deer trying to walk for the first time and, and, and uh, the way the rabbits moved and I, everything about it, I, I thought was really uh, entrancing to watch nature and uh, the colors, the flowers, the different seasons. Um, I, I, I really loved the look of this movie. And so uh, while I agree the story, the narrative was stretched out. I was really taken by by the visuals, and I think the animation was the best yet. Uh, it is a later movie, of course, than the others. It's the newest of this group, but you know they're all year a couple years apart or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just I loved the look of it. I thought that that uh, they were really at the top of their game at this point. And um, animals, you can see the influence of these animals on future projects. Uh, all the other little animal characters, and these are some of the most uh, iconic Disney animals there are and here we are like their fifth feature film and uh, Thumper and Bambi are, are favorites flowers really cute if it's a skunk they made people care about skunks for god's sakes like yeah I, I just I really enjoy this film it's a relaxing more of a slow paced but in a good way nature film if you like animals and nature it kind of was a nice escape I would much rather just watch a nature documentary uh, or planet earth or something. I, I, I was very bored by this other than the animation. I was stunned by the animation it is a beautiful looking movie plot wise. They could have cut this thing down by 20 minutes probably. And maybe have made it more entertaining for that reason. Of course, if you're paying attention at home, it is the worst of the week for me. I'm only going to give this one a 7.5 out of 10. I thought it stunk. Oof, Bambi is the worst. That's something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> animation wise i'm 100 yeah. percent with you narrative wise i couldn't do it and here's why here's why okay. i said this at the top of the show snow white is from a narrative perspective uh in many ways worse than this but and animation wise it's not as good but it's legacy it's og status and it's songs there are still so many memorable songs in snow white that everybody knows to this day. And because of that, that's where it gets the advantage and gets a slightly higher score. Snow this isn't, here's what I would say. Of the five, this is the one that stinks. Of the pantheon of movies, is Bambi a bad movie? No, it's sure. not. But of this grouping we have here today, I think it's the worst. Snow White was the first feature film uh, soundtrack ever released. It was a huge seller. Uh, that's another piece of history for it. So first animated film in the States, first uh, motion picture soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, Snow White originally had 25 songs written for it. They used eight. Wow. There's a whole... Well, they picked the right eight. Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> one third. They wrote, they wrote three times the amount of songs. So it's interesting. Uh, they were going all out on that first feature. And, the, you know, the budget definitely shows that. Uh, but again, I, I... Is there any... But there's nothing as distinct in Bambi other than his mother dying. There's nothing as distinct in this film as any of the other ones that we watch. It's, it is a... I think other than his mother dying, which, again, doesn't happen until the back third of the film, the movie's kind of not it's just not very memorable or engaging i think it's the me. characters i think where i think where this one makes up is the animals take the are at the forefront so snow white you have some dead-eyed birds and some i mean they, 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 <laughs> chippendales pre, that's a chippendale right prequel, i saw the chipmunks chip oh there. are you talking about the chipmunks that are as big as raccoons yes. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> those yeah, are I saw, yeah, I saw those uh, monster chipmunks in that movie. But Monterey Jacks in the background, if you look very closely, <laughs> was an Easter egg. So I... I the the animals are you know hanging around in the background and Pinocchio you get the cute sidekicks um, and 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 Dumbo of course the the elephants are the main ones and so you get a little more there but yeah. um, you know I really think that this is where cute animals telling the entire story uh, they take center stage they're adorable they're way cuter than the animals in Dumbo I mean Dumbo's cute but these animals are all really cute and the flower the skunk that is so sweet and you love the and your thumper is so adorable and he's every time he opens his mouth it's like i i just i think you fall in love with these characters and people latch onto those and uh and like i said it was a pleasure to look at it was really just a relaxing cool nature movie and what i love nature docs like you said but um i think the skilled animation the beautiful animation is what kept me in the zone watching it while i can uh, I can understand the slow pacing, but um, being able to appreciate the art form and taking in how the movements and everything were captured, that's what led this one to be higher for me. So I put this one at an 8.0, and it is number two on my list. Wow. Well, too many animal orgasms, not enough demons. That's my <laughs> review of this movie. All right, it's time for our recap. Coming in dead last for me, 7.5 out of 10. Not enough demons, too many rabbit orgasms. Number four, Snow White. Uh, it is, narrative-wise, probably the one that stretched the most thin, but due to its age and how much the animation still holds up and eight of the most memorable songs in the entire Disney canon, uh, I'm going to give it a 7.8 out of 10. gets bumped up from last to next to last. Number three, middle of the road is Dumbo. It doesn't look that great, especially from a distance. I really deeply care about the character of Dumbo, so the movie's successful there, but it didn't give me that catharsis I was looking for. Eight out of ten. Number two is Pinocchio. It was so close. This is probably the most enjoyment I got out of it, but but there's a lot of really enjoyable Disney films, and so it was close. I shuffled it just at the last second. I give it a nine out of ten. Very, very, very strong film. But uh, th there's many strong films in the canon of Disney. So I had to go with my number one, which is Fantasia. I give a 9.5 out of 10 just because I think it creates the most singular, unique experience of all the Disney films you could possibly have. And so because of that, I think it's most worthy of preservation. Kevin, what's your recap? Coming in at number five for me, the uh, mirrored effect here. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, aforementioned Fantasia, 6.5. I think it was a cool experiment. Uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice is clearly the one that they cared the most about and is the best thing that came out of it. Uh, the other stuff is cool, good, great music, some cool experimental art stuff, but uh, very little to no rewatch value. I can't imagine anyone just picking, let's watch a movie tonight. It's Fantasia. It's, it's one that I would <laughs> easily skip. Uh, number four, I have Dumbo. I enjoyed the film, uh, but uh, you know, there's just so many great ones to choose from. So really, not knocking Dumbo, but it is dated, and because of some of the things that we talked about with the the, the songs that just really put a bad taste in your mouth these days. Um, 
I give it a 7.25. I, it's still, I think, a really nice, tight story, and, and I enjoy that one. It's very sweet. Number three, Snow White with a 7.5. Uh, stretched narrative like you mentioned, but uh, really uh, so many firsts and uh, revolutionary in animation. Uh, still holds up today, and uh, you know, fun characters, just not enough story there. Uh, coming in at number two, I have Bambi, which, uh, you know, Jason and I will just on opposite <laughs> nights, you know, like I'll watch Bambi, he'll watch Fantasia, we'll get together and talk about our movies and, <laughs> you know, which ones that we watched and, and we enjoyed. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think Bambi is a really, again, a really beautiful film, uh, stunning animation, documentary-like uh, movements from the animals and really sweet, lovable characters. So a uh, beautiful film to look at. Uh, not too much going on story-wise, but it's uh, realistic. It feels like uh, a real it was daring of them to go with realistic stuff especially like the mom dying and that's something Mm. that happens in nature and i think it was brave of them to do that and coming in at number one pinocchio the the most exciting fun movie that i watched uh, this week and uh i just i had a blast with the songs are good the animation is stunning the technology they developed was uh coming off of snow white which was impressive it was amazing the leaps that they took and so i had a genuinely great time on this adventure the story was thrilling the characters were fun uh the the bad guys were terrorizing and uh yeah it was a great great overall film that that holds up quite well today so what is your recommendation of the week? My recommendation of the week, hands down, is Pinocchio. I'm going to join you with that. I think Pinocchio is hands down the recommendation of the week. You know, all of our wonderful binge lords are equal. It's just some are a little bit more equal. So if you share the show on social media and you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, you get to join the very best thing going today, the binge elite. As we like to say around these parts, it's just too sweet. Hit us up on Twitter at Binge Movies. Let us know you've shared and reviewed the show to be included in our weekly Be Kind Rewind tweet. Why be ordinary when you could be elite? next episode we rank oddball movies of the 90s which includes 1990s the first power 1990s i come in peace aka dark angel 1993's freaked 1996's the frighteners and 1995's the addiction you are a frequent flyer here in the great state of ohio and uh, the great city of akron where can we find you if the people don't know if they're a new subscriber new listener they've never heard you on binge movies before where should they find you what do you have going on when you're not here in akron well thank you very much for having me back i appreciate it it's always a blast talking movies with you and uh and uh for people that haven't listened yet make sure you check out our episode that jason was uh recently on uh he was on a patreon episode of blind fury so uh we <laughs> hope that uh supporters of the show we 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 appreciate uh donations and such and so if you help support the show you get that episode and dozens of other things that we've done uh included with that and it, it is a movie 
this Rutger Hauer movie, it just it, you have to, you almost have to see it to believe it, which sounds to a believe. little ironic given the title. But uh, <laughs> yeah. this movie is something else. So, uh, but that's over at the Patreon for Real Spoilers. So check that out if you haven't yet. Uh, and you can find me every week on Real Spoilers wherever you get your podcasts. We spoil the uh, biggest, newest movie of the week. If there's multiple, we usually just try to figure out what will be the most that people have seen, so we can discuss it. And and uh, we spoil the movie, so it's kind of like a book club where uh, we don't hold back anything so you either have seen it already and you join the discussion with us or you uh, don't care about spoilers well you're not busy talking about movies speaking of orchestra and theater you also write quite a bit that's actually where you got your start would you want to plug your website and the writing that you do yeah, thank you. So, uh, yeah, I do a lot of theater reviews. Uh, those are usually uh, local, regional shows or national tours. So you may be able to catch some of the same national tours. Uh, but for my written film reviews, as well as the the music and concert stuff, you can visit ReviewSTL.com. We're based out of St. Louis. Always appreciate it and uh, hope to have you back in the future. So until next time, binge lords, binge on.